for your grace and mercy this morning and every single day. I want to thank you that you love us so much, you sent us Jesus. And that because of him, we can know life. And we can know life in abundance. And we can know life with passion. And we can ultimately know life eternal. So thank you. And I pray that as we continue to celebrate this time of year, that would always be in the forefront of our minds. As, as we do all of the, the things with the family and with our friends, and as we celebrate Christmas, even if we're in a cultural setting where you are not represented, let you be the center of our tension in our hearts, and that we will bring you everywhere and anywhere no matter where we find ourselves. Lord, this morning I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. So my thoughts are pretty uh, short today. Um, I don't think I'm going to go long. We've lit the candle of love this morning. And we always talk about the love of God. I think it's one of those things that we, as Christians, take for granted. It's something that we always know is there. Even when we don't feel like it, we know that God loves us. And so really, I don't, I don't think you're going to hear anything new this morning. I have no great epiphany of the love of God. And so let this be a reminder to you. And so we need to begin with an Old Testament survey of some verses. I'm going to see if this works. It doesn't. Wes, can we go to the first slide? Exodus chapter 15, it says this. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. So God is talking about... His people. And he's talking how that, that he loves them in this unfailing love, which means that this love doesn't go away. And he is going to lead them. He's going to lead them to their, their holy, his holy dwelling. These people that he has redeemed. And so, and so God's love is, is this thing that's in motion. It just doesn't stay kind of stagnant. It just doesn't, it's just not a word that we throw out there. But it's something that, that's in motion and we can experience it especially the people his people that have been redeemed next slide exodus 34 says this and he passed in front of moses proclaiming the lord the lord the compassionate and gracious god slow to anger and abounding in love and faithfulness the angel of the lord speaking to moses and he's compassionate gracious and slow to anger. Thank God for that one, huh? That he is slow to anger. But then it says, abounding in love and faithfulness, which means that his love and his faithfulness is overflowing. It's uncontainable. And it's, and it's a love that brings forgiveness to his people. The Lord is slow to anger. Gracious, compassionate, and 
forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. This is an expression of his love to his people. Next slide. Deuteronomy. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh the king. So the Lord is talking about his people Israel. And he tells them, listen, you guys weren't the biggest. Really, you weren't the most powerful. In fact, you were kind of small. There was nothing really that special about you. But I chose you. And the reason why he chose his people is for this reason. He loves them. He chose them because he loves them. He's going to keep his promises. And he's kept his promises. He has redeemed his people. See, the thing about God is he doesn't love for our sake. He loves for his sake, which brings him glory. And that's why his love is so amazing. So boundless, deep. Jeremiah. Next verse, Wes. When the word of the Lord came to me, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Like these good figs, I regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I sent away from this place to the land of the Babylonians. My eyes will watch over them for their good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not uproot them. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their heart. And so once again, the Lord is talking to his people, and he's telling them, listen, guys, I know that things haven't kind of gone the way you expected them to go. I know that things haven't gone the way you had planned or the way you had hoped. In fact, things are a little bit difficult for you right now. But the Lord's promise is he is going to watch over his people for their own good. For the good of them, he will watch over them. And he's going to bring them back. And he's going to build them up and establish them. He's going to transform them from the inside out. He's going to give them a heart to know him. The Lord gives his people the heart so that his people know them. He will give them a heart for passion and a heart for desire and a heart for holiness. He is affirming in his people, you're mine, you're my possession. You are my folk. And God is our God. You are mine, and I am your God. The Lord's promise. And this this is what the love of God looks looks like when it's poured out. One more. Ezekiel. They will no longer defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with with any of their offenses. For I will save them from all their sinful backsliding, and I will cleanse them. They will be my people, and I will be their God. This whole section of the text in Ezekiel 37 is about God wanting to put his kingdom back together again. And when he's going to step in. It's almost, it's almost like an intervention. The Lord is going to step in. 
He's going to do some things in his people and they will no longer worship false gods. And, and I love this part that he is going to save them from themselves. He is going to save them from their own backsliding. It, it seems that humanity has a way of repeating our own poor history. But the Lord says, no, no more. I am going to save you from yourself. And this all comes from his love for his people and his faithfulness to them. And once again, he confirms in them, in them, you are my people and I am your God. This is the love of the Lord, once again, poured out to his people. And over and over and over again in the Old Testament, if we read through, we see. See how much the Lord loves his people. And what he is willing to forgive. Yes, he may put them in some situations to get their attention. <laughs> but it's always done out of love. Now let's go to our text for this morning. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, from an academic standpoint, from a theological standpoint, we're not sure if these are the words of Jesus or these are the words of John. In some versions, you will see that these words are read, which means that Jesus spoke them. In others, they're not read, because uh, scholars kind of, they toss up and down who actually spoke the, these words. John is very, it's common for John as he's writing his gospel to, to add his own reflections about the, the life of Jesus and the ideas of faith. But let me tell you this about that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who, John or Jesus, who spoke these words. These are in the Bible. And so this, this text, this verse is a weighty, weighty verse for us. In fact, it's probably one of the most well-known verses that we have in the Bible. Coffee cups, t-shirts, little, little, I've seen them on tattoos. John 3, wasn't there a wrestler that did John 3.16 or was that just 3.16? Austin 3.16, that's the other Bible. So maybe not so much this one. So, so it's, I mean, we, we teach our kids this. I mean, this is the verse that we teach our kids. This is the verse that, that, that you will tell people when you're trying to share Jesus because it's probably the only one that you actually know from start to finish and, and the reference to it. So this is a real popular verse. But when it was written, and this verse is nothing but scandal written all over it. This is a scandalous verse, especially if you were a first century Jewish person. This statement would have been just like, God so loved the world? No. No. God loves his God loves his people. God loves his people, but the world? I mean, we've just looked at a few verses in the Old Testament, and there are dozens more about the love of God for his people and how it's, it shows up. And how it manifests itself. 
But God love God loving the world. This this is this is a scandal. This this would have this would have got some people upset. But in John, he doesn't say anything about God's people. He says, "For God so loved the world," which means which means God loves everything. And God loves everybody, the Jew and the Gentile, equally. For God so loved the world. But this would never have been written in the ancient Jewish text. I mean, if you, if you converted in, the, in, in, in their tradition, if you converted to Judaism, then God would love you because God loves his people. And just the fact that you were able to convert is the love of God poured out to you. It would have never been considered that God would love just just everybody. It just wouldn't make sense. But for Jesus' followers, those of us who who have the, the New Testament, the New Covenant, the teachings of Jesus, this is just kind of, this is old hat to us. This is nothing new. This is our popular verse. This is our t-shirt verse, the coffee cup verse, the Hallmark card verse. Everybody knows John 3.16. But that's not such an easy jump to make if you lived in the first century. Because see, God's love, it seemed to always have been confined to a nationality or a certain spirituality. Even, Even when God said to Abraham that all nations will be blessed through you. It used to be translated that all nations will have the opportunity to to follow the God of Judaism. And even the fact that they were able to was a blessing. That was the blessing. And you had to be in that covenant relationship before God would ever love you. And it, wouldn't make se- it didn't make sense. But as Christians, we look at this verse and we think of the love of God through a very, very different lens. But really, it's, it's scandalous. Now, if you've been in church, you know it. You know this verse. You've learned this verse. We're used to hearing it, but I would say even for us Christians, we gloss over the tremendous implications of that first few words. Or maybe we just don't let ourselves go there. We don't let ourselves think too much about it. It's just, it's just this feel-good verse. For God so loved the world. I mean, that just fits well, doesn't it? I mean, it makes us feel good. It, makes, it puts a little spring in our step. It makes us feel happy. But I would say that those words are just as scandalous today as they were in the first century when they were written. To say that God so loved the world, you know what that means? It means this. That God even loves the most vile, evil people. Let me tell you, if that's not a scandal, 
don't know what is. Because as I started to think about this, I started to get a little knot in my belly. Because I don't, I don't particularly care for that all that much in my humanness. I mean, I know I, I should, but I'm only human. And so that creates tension in me. That God would love evil people. Do you know what that means? That that young man who committed that atrocity a week ago, God loves him. He didn't love what he did. Please don't get me wrong. But he loved that young man. And you know what? I got a problem with that a little bit. I mean, that just, it just doesn't really set right. You know that God, you know the, the Westboro Baptist Church, those people who spew hatred in the name of God. God loves them. He loves the terrorists that kill innocents all over the world. He loves the gang members. This verse is just as scandalous now as it was then. Just as scandalous. And if we continue with this idea, if we continue with the linear process of it, God, it's perfect and it's complete. There's no degree of his love. It's not like, well, I always think he loves me just a little bit more, but not a lot. Not not enough to make a real difference in your life. But, you know, I like to think maybe just a little. But really, there's no degree of the love of God. It's perfect and complete right across the board. You know what that means? That God loves those people as much as he loves us. You see, a little scandalous. You see how maybe this causes just a little tension. At least it should cause a little tension. It's tough to get our minds around sometimes the depth and the height and the width of this all-encompassing love of the Lord. Now understand, I am not talking about salvation. I am not talking about those who have put their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ and believe that he is the Son of God. I'm not talking about those who have been given the gift of eternal life because of that decision. I'm just talking about the love of God that is poured out on the entire world everyone it's not confined to a religious movement it's not confined to a nationality a set of beliefs even our actions it's based on god's love is based on the passion that he has for his glory and so it's undiscriminating and it's all encompassing beauty part of it is it doesn't ebb and flow with humanity's behavior it stays constant that means it doesn't ebb and flow with your behavior i mean i know that there's nobody here really sins that much here we're a good group but those other churches it doesn't ebb and flow with their bad behavior constant in john first uh, john 4 8 is God is love. And see, it's not, about th- it's not about love defining who God is. It goes much deeper. The Lord defines what 
love is. And so it's divine, and it's holy, and it's mysterious, and it's complete, and it's perfect, and it's scandalous. And every action of the Lord comes from that place. Everything he does comes from that place. Even the things that we don't understand come from him loving the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world that he gave. And so, his divine nature, who he is, it initiates, action comes of it. This never-changing character of the Lord initiates something out of his love for the world. And he pours it out upon us. He pours it out to the world. Not for our sake. He would be brought glory. And why does that bring him glory? Because he poured out his love then. He continues to pour out his love now to a creation that the majority will never love him in return. But yet he still pours out that love. For God so loved the world that he gave to the world. While we were sinners, Christ came into this world. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is a scandalous love that's given freely. It's, it's a no matter what. God loves no matter what people respond back to him with. I, I would think it's kind of like a parent and, and a newborn. I mean, really, Parents, they have this newborn bundle of joy, right? And this, this little baby that they love. And all this little baby can do to give back is to throw up, to fill their diapers with little surprises, to keep parents up at night. There's no real reciprocation of love, but yet the parent still pours out their love on that child. I would think it's the same with God and us, his people multiplied by infinity and beyond. Do you know that, do you realize that probably over two-thirds of the world will never love the Lord? And even those who say, yeah, I love God, they, they love the God that they've kind of created in their own mind. They love the God that's very... Uh, very accommodating to what they want to do. They've, they've kind of made up what they want to believe and how they want to believe and how they want to engage. And then that's the God they love. And that God can be very far from the true God that has revealed himself in the pages of these scriptures. God so loved the world that he gave. He initiated. He did something about that love. He gave his one and only son. And that first part of the, the verse really sums up the entire gospel of John. His, limit, his limitless, limitless embrace of all humankind. He loves everything and he gave everything. And there was a cost that he 
him expressing that to the world. He gave his son. And humanity would take his son and nail him to the cross for the purpose of finally saving us once and for all. Finally freeing us once and for all. Last week, remember I said that God is most concerned with his own glory and with his name. And that we bring the Lord glory by being most satisfied with him and in him. Last week we said that part of that satisfaction is that we would find our joy in the Lord. And that brings him glory. It's not about religion. It's not about tradition. It's not about sacrifices. It's not about following all the rules. Imagine that. That, that if you look to the Lord for your joy, you bring him the most glory. What a weight off our shoulders. And now maybe we can say it this way, that if, that if we would love the Lord our God with all of our hearts and soul and mind, we bring him glory. It's not about the religion. It's not about the rules. It's not about regurgitating chapter and verse. Those things are important, except the regurgitation. Maybe we say quote chapter and verse. That sounds a little better. The Lord looks for the heart, and that's what brings him the most glory. When he has captured our heart, that's what brings him the most glory, to love the Lord. God has loved us with the love that cost him. Big cost. Jesus, go down there and get killed. Jesus said, yep, I'm on my way. So I I, I got to thinking, if we've been created to bring the Lord glory, and part of that would be to love him, then... Does loving him cost us anything? I mean, does loving him cost us something? Should it even cost us something? I mean, the world would say, yeah, there's a big cost to being a Christian. I mean, you can't have any fun. You can't have any excitement, which which means to them that you just can't go out and do anything that feels good and anything that you want to do. Yeah, that's a big cost. How can you follow a God that that won't let you do anything that you want to do as long as you're not hurting anyone except your own soul? But, you know, I got to thinking, okay, that's, that's the world's definition. And I would say that the world is wrong. But what for the Jesus follower? What's, what is our cost? Does it cost us anything in our humanness and in our brokenness and in our sinfulness? Does it cost us to love the Lord our God? And right away we want to go, yeah, we can't and we can't and we should and then we can't and then we should and we should. I say, no. That's that's far from the truth. And I thought about it long and hard. What is it? Okay, what is it, God? What does it cost us? And here's what I think I came up with. It costs us giving up a life lived in hopelessness because Jesus becomes our hope. 
It cost us a life without purpose because God becomes our purpose and life becomes much more just about than just about us. It costs us a joyless life because we know that through Christ we can know deep, lasting joy. A joy that goes beyond our situation and our circumstances. Maybe we could say it this way. It's a no matter what joy. Because it's found, it's founded in the truth of who Christ is. The cost for loving God is that we are liberated from our circumstances that seem to want to always control us. It costs us our addictions and our fears and our anxieties and our anger and our brokenness. I would say there's a high cost to loving the Lord our God. high cost. I'm telling you, man, I'm willing to pay that. I'm willing to get my spiritual checkbook out and say, take it. Take the anger. Take the brokenness. Take the hopelessness. Take the joylessness. Just take it, God. I don't want it anymore. Jesus was asked once, yo, Jesus, I think in the Hebrew they use yo. What's the most important commandment, Jesus? Let me sum it up for you what he said. He said, love God and love people. Everything else just kind of falls into place after that. And so God loves us with a love that costs something. And we're to to, to give ourselves to him and surrender. And that's going to cost us some things, some things that, that I'm very willing to give back to him. But then there's this other thing that I am called now to love people, to love God, to love people. And see, this is where, this is where we start to get our hands a little dirty. See, we're all willing to give up to a certain degree all of those things that we don't like in our lives. The anger, the hurt, the addictions, the hopelessness, the helplessness, the joylessness. Yeah, take them away, God. I don't want them. But then when it comes to loving other people with the same kind of love that God has poured out to us, a love that's, that's all in, a love that initiates, a love that may actually cost us a little something. You see... By loving people, we love God. Loving God, we automatically would love people. It's kind of a circle. To love God is to love people. To love people is to love God. To love God is to love people. To love people is to love God. And it goes around and around and around. Because First John 4, 8, at the beginning of that verse, it says that if we do not love, then we don't even know God. God is So I guess, you know, I, I don't know. How are we doing? How are we doing with loving people? Because how we love God and how we've surrendered to him in that love is a direct reflection of how we are actually loving people. If you love people a little, 
I'm sure you're just loving God a little. Man, he wants, he wants, he wants it all. He desires it all. He would never take it. And so how are we doing? Are we loving people? Are we loving people based on who they are? What they are to us? Are we loving people, the ones that we like? The ones that like us? Even murderers do that. That's biblical dispensation anymore. How are we doing? Are we all in? Have we surrendered to the Lord enough where we're just going to love on people with a no matter what love? Scandalous love? Has anybody called you foolish for doing something for someone that didn't deserve it? And you're just starting to figure out what loving people is about. Are you loving with, with the intensity to change the world by changing one life at a time by introducing people to Jesus? Because, you know, you could be the best arguer of the faith. You can have all the answers. I mean, literally all the answers. You can, you can debate theology and be good at it. But, man, if you're a jerk and there's no love in your heart, Write a book. You'll probably end up buying it. Are you loving with something that costs you? Maybe it's an emotional cost. Maybe it's a financial cost. Maybe it's something that's cost your time and your energy. Husbands, are you loving your wives? Wives, are you loving your husbands? It's a scandalous all in cost you something love. Are we loving our kids? Are we loving our grandparents? Are we loving the perfect person? Because that's where that's where it transcends just us being about us. And Christmas, there's all this. I, I went to uh, went to Dunkin' Donuts, and I sometimes I do that whole. Um, demonstration of God's love card thing that we have and um, I make sure there's only one person in the car behind me because I don't want to get too I don't want to demonstrate too much love uh, so I got caught with that once man who orders like 15 bucks at Dunkin Donuts I don't know so so I, I pull up and uh, I said hey you know I like to pay for the lady behind me and um, she looks at me she goes do you know her I said nope she goes people have been doing that all day right praise God but it's only around Christmas. It's only, I mean, seriously, we, we, we have this flow of goodwill and cheer towards men until January 1st when the world wakes up with a hangover and then everybody's back to being grumpy. Christmas is gone. Trees are coming down. Lights are coming off. Listen, by January 15th in our family, we mock people who still have their lights on. Oh, look at that. Mm-mm. They need to take those down. Why only now? The scripture wasn't written for December. It was written for a lifetime. This verse wasn't written just for December. 
The scandalous love of God is poured out upon the world from beginning till its end. We need to get a hold of that. Walking in that. It begins with our surrender to the Lord. Our desire to bring Him glory. And allow the transformation of surrender then to just transform us into loving others. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Gospel 101. I would encourage you not just to memorize it but to live it 24-7-365. I want to thank you for just a simple verse. And thank you that uh, you loved us first. (laughs) And then even your love for your church was a bit of a scandal. And that because of the passion for your own glory, you love with a no matter what. Pray, Lord, that in just hearing this song, that that love would become manifest tenfold in the lives of the people that are here. And it would just well up so much inside of them that it would pour out to everyone around them. Not just today, not just on Christmas. Every day. Let us remember what you've done for us. Let us remember. Let us remember hope and peace and joy in Christ. Amen.